let's get started. So we're in part two of, of, of this uh, abomination and desolation passage of Luke 21, um, also known as the Olivet Discourse. Um, challenging passage to understand and to interpret. In fact, if I could be honest, um, picking one of these Gospels before we got started over two years or so ago in the Gospel of Luke, that knowing that these passages would eventually come before me at the study and unpack before you, I was fearful of. Because <laughs> these are challenging passages to understand and to interpret. Now, historically, we see Jesus' words, especially from last week, the things that we saw last week, Historically, the words of Jesus were fulfilled in the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 uh, AD. But what are the signs of his second coming? What are the signs of his second coming? Right, this is what I mean, where it gets hard and it's mysterious, and this is where the bait can, can come in. Can we understand those signs exactly? Can we pinpoint them when we see them? Do we know exactly, sequentially, how every little detail is going to happen? Now, there are some charts out there that will tell you, yes. I know exactly when that black helicopter is going to fly over Bullock County kind of stuff, right? And I I don't think the answer to that question is yes, right? I don't call them heretics, but I don't, I don't go for all that stuff. I think the answer is no. But the words of Jesus here are not just to confuse us and not just to give uh, ammunition to, to those who want to draw the, the graphs in the charts or ammunition to those who don't want to deal with the graphs in, in the charts. And Jesus words here not to confuse us and in fact kind of like what we saw last week they're they're given to encourage us and to propel us forward to to know how to keep going and how to keep standing and how to stay faithful and why to stay faithful so as we we read it this morning i, I want us to just be encouraged by the words of jesus even when it sounds just confusing Let's be encouraged by what Jesus is telling us this morning, his church. Let's look at Luke chapter 21, and let's start reading in verse 25 together. Verse 25, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great joy. Now, when these things begin to take place straight up, and raise your head, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. 
as soon as they come out of leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things take place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will be upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake, and at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged at the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. And this is the word of the Lord. And may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and see this, his inerrant, inspired word for his glory and for our joy. Amen. Whoo, a lot there. A lot going on in that text. Now, this past Sunday, as I was trying to enjoy some Sabbath rest on the couch, watching a little football, our football was just on, I happened to already notice or happen to notice that already Christmas commercials are already upon us. Christmas commercials are already upon us. In fact, um, I think it was even, not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before, uh, Kate came up to me with the Amazon Book of Toys. Now, for us, it used to be the, to the Toys R Us Book of Toys. Now it's the Amazon Book of Toys, and she has had to show me the Octonauts that she wanted for Christmas. Christmas season starts now right after Halloween, doesn't it? It's like a light switch on, or a light switch that's off, and it switches on. The two highest money-making holidays of the year is Halloween and, and, and Christmas, and they skip right over poor Thanksgiving. Now, side note, that should tell us something a little bit about culture, doesn't it? But Christmas, this holiday is coming. I mean, we, we can already kind of feel that, with the, the, you know, it got cold. So we're like, oh man, Christmas is coming. The anticipation is, is already to uh, build, whether, whether that is good or whether that is bad, whether you like it or whether you not. And as Christians, we, we may not like all the, the secular hoopla that, that, that surrounds uh, uh, around this, this holy day, because Christmas reminds us of something deeper, doesn't it? It reminds us of something so much deeper. In fact, it takes us back to the first two chapters of, 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 of Luke's gospel, where it tells us all about how Jesus came. It takes us back to Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is, is given. And, and all the way back, we remember to Genesis chapter 3, where, where God, even in the, the midst of curse falling upon mankind because of, the, of sin, that God gives us the great promise that he would one day crush the head of the serpent through the, through the seed of the woman. And all that points us to that first Christmas, that first 
Advent. The incarnation of the Son of God taking on flesh, born as a baby, would grow up into the man, Jesus Christ, who would be sacrificed on the cross as a substitute for the sins of the world. To bring about redemption for his people, the forgiveness of sins. The New Testament tells us of this. Right? We, we, we've studied it in Luke, you see it in Mark, you see it in, 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 in Matthew. But there is another coming, another advent, that the New Testament actually speaks far greater of. We just get a couple chapters of, of Christmas and the Incarnation, but the New Testament is full of another coming of Jesus. The Old Testament promised that the first advent would come, and he did. There was anticipation that built up throughout the Old Testament, and he did. It was fulfilled in the New, uh, in the New Testament. But now in the New, there's another anticipation that his people are to be filled with. And that is an anticipation for the second coming of Jesus, the second advent. It is good for us to celebrate Christmas, and I know I'm like, man, you're ahead of the curve. About time, right? Usually I'm behind everything. But it's, it's good for us to celebrate the first coming of Christ. It's good for us to feel that anticipation. But the New Testament shows us that that anticipation actually rolls up for us into a greater and far deeper anticipation, something that much fuller is going to come. We think that this season is all about running up to Christmas morning. But there's a whole other side for us. There's a whole other side for us Christians. And, and it's what Jesus is telling us this morning to look forward to. To anticipate. To prepare for. Hebrews 9. I love this verse. Hebrews 9 verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is what the New Testament is full of. Telling about that the purpose and point of his first coming, but shows us what it means to be eagerly waiting for the second. To save those who are eagerly waiting. And when it comes to the Christian life, and our hope now, and our future hope, the New Testament focuses on these things, on these things more than almost anything else. I think it draws us to the cross, that that's our hope, right? That's where our salvation lies. But it also takes us to the second coming of Christ over and over and over. It shows, it, it takes you more to the second coming of Jesus than it does even heaven itself. There's your hope. Look to him and his return. That Jesus is coming back. And to anticipate his coming back, and to see him reign. I think that's what Jesus has in mind in all of this text that seems to be so confusing and mysterious. To see him as he comes back and to see him reign, and that we would embrace it and have certainty in it. 
The second advent is the grand finale of the gospel. It is the grand finale of the gospel. And so as his church who believes the gospel and we hold it so dear and so close, let us embrace this. In the shadow of the cross, before Jesus has even left, he's telling his disciples to prepare and to set their hopes in that. And why? Because the second advent directly is connected to our daily lives. It's directly connected to our, our daily lives. I mean, I mean, if, if Christmas can, can, can totally disrupt, in good ways and bad ways, our lives for the next two months... I mean, just kind of flip everything upside down and, and makes people go nuts at stores and spend all kinds of money or, or, or we start to decorate our house, we put lights up. and all. Imagine how the second advent should inform and change the lives of those who follow Christ. Not just the next two months, but the entire year. Jesus would have his followers to persevere and to have assurance, not by setting their eyes and the focus of their hearts on the things of the world, but to set our, our, our eyes and the focus of our hearts and our lives upon things that are deeper, greater realities, things that are not passing away, but the things that will remain. The second advent doesn't lead us to withdraw from our own little groups and, and, and start our own little uh, people that live in the woods waiting for Jesus to return on the next big supermoon. But it moves us as his followers to be saltier, to be brighter in a world that is tasteless and darkness. And here are my two points for today. Number one that we can rest assured that Jesus is coming back. That's the easy one. <laughs> and the second is if that is true, how does that, thou, how does that now inform how we should live today? And Jesus, I think, gives us both. He tells us both, that we can have certainty in his return and how we are to live today. So first, Jesus is coming back. I think this is the first thing that he wants his followers to deeply embrace in their hearts and in their minds, that we can have certainty that he is coming back, that we can have confidence, it's a good word, confidence in his return. In, in just two days of, in the text speaking, Jesus is going to be He's going to die on the cross. And three days after that, he is going to be resurrected. And 40 days after that, after his resurrection, he is going to ascend into heaven. And 10 days after that, the Holy Spirit is going to descend upon his people. And then for the next extended period of time, so far 2,000-ish years, the kingdom of God has come, but yet we are, as his people, waiting for his kingdom to be completely established, the consummation of all things. 
and Jesus' return. So as we, we use the terminology, the little, the little phrase that as Christians, since that time up to now and, and ongoing until Jesus returns, that we live in the already, the promises that have already been fulfilled, and then in the not yet, the things that haven't take place, but yet we are anticipating that will take place in his return. And Jesus gives us certainty because of the signs that will accompany his return. Look at verse 25. Signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. Now, we can read this, these, these signs, particular the, uh, the signs that are given in, in, the, in the earth and in, in, in the heavens and the moon and the stars and the sun. And we can, we can read these signs and we can begin to interp- interpret those particular signs based upon uh, our own assertions of our own knowledge of what these signs might mean. Like, so we can interpret it in, in the ways that we understand science, the way we understand uh, uh, astronomy, and the way we understand uh, uh, biology. <clears throat> and so we have to be careful that with every hurricane or maybe even solar flares or floods or volcanoes and earthquake or maybe all at the same time, to be careful not to read into those things that these must be the signs of Jesus' return. But Jesus does give us something very specific, though, about these signs. He says that the nations and the people will be utterly confused and scared. They will be, what does it say? They will be perplexed, distressed in perplexity, consternation. Amazement of the horror of such things. So this isn't just one, two hurricanes and an earthquake and a flood, things that have, in a sense, always happened throughout history. This is 50 hurricanes. Don't take that number literally, please. I did not find it on any charts. It could be 42 earthquakes and volcanoes all over. I mean, we're... We're talking a complete distress of the nations. Nations, nature that will be in in an unordinary, extraordinary chaos. Weather and oceanic tides and currents will not be in their regular patterns. You know, one thing that every when every hurricane kind of kind of comes off the coast and things like that. We like to think that humanity still is in, in control of things. And we look at our charts, and we look at what the weatherman tells us, and we're like, yeah, it's going to go this way, and yeah, it's going to go. But the reality is we have no clue where that. Let that sucker get real close, and look how worried people become. In fact, look how angry people become at the weatherman that he hasn't sent some plane to go out there and nuke the thing, or the president. Let that thing come a little bit closer. It's the kind of confusion and panic and fear that I think we're seeing in a real small way of those who are 
pushing for more and more regulation because of climate change. Look at the hysteria along that. We have to be careful, though, because Christians throughout the centuries have taken these signs and they begin to interpret it in their own times. The fall of Jerusalem, the, the Civil War, World War I, World War II. We all have seen throughout the ages in history a horror like never seen or done, and we've interpreted it through the lenses of Jesus' return as imminent. So we have to be careful not to think that with each event that they are definite signs. What Jesus is telling us is that we will know when it happens. We will know for sure when it happens. And if we are around when it happens, I think Jesus is describing to us nothing less than God himself in his return of, of Jesus Christ, that God is actually decreating the world. Decreating the world. In Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world. You look at the text, it tells us over and over, that what did God do? God, he, God calmed the chaos. God brought light in the darkness. God gave order to things. And it says, writing the laws of nature, dividing the seas of, between the land and the ocean. He gave night and day, setting the sun and the moon, and when they shall rise and when it shall set, setting the things in orbit, stuff that we had no clue of. God was setting things into orbit and in their place. And I think what Jesus is describing for us is just as cataclysmic as creation was, so will be the decreation of the world when the Son of Man returns in power and glory. But here's the thing. What, what will cause the world and the nations to, to absolutely lose their minds in hysteria, in perplexity? Look what Jesus is saying. Jesus is literally saying, to, saying what's going to cause them to lose their minds. Their literal world is crashing around them. Why? Because all their hopes are set in creation. Things that are either created by man or things that were, were created by God that have become their gods that they are serving, and they're literally being decreated right in front of them. But Jesus says, but you, disciples, Christians, my followers, in that same hour when the world is freaking out, you have assurance. You have confidence in my second coming. So let's not get hung up in all the details of the, of the signs. They're, they're just signs. They will, they will happen when they happen. But rather, Jesus is directing our focus and assurance and confidence in the Son of God who is coming in power and great glory. That's where he is setting us to set our focus on. Verse 27. The second advent will not be like the first. He is not coming as a baby. There's going to be no manger. There's no silent night. But believe me, it will be holy. And we will all know when he returns. It won't be some one event in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. But the world will know. And he will come back in power and glory. Nature will be in chaos and it will be terrifying, but it will be as nothing when the Lamb of God appears before this world. And all 
will bow before the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days. Look at verse 28. I love this. And now when you see these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. You don't need to cower in fear. That's what everyone else is doing. Because if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, then guess what? You are not outside of the ark. You're not outside with the rest of the world as the rain falls and the waters rise. You are inside of the ark of God's grace. So raise your heads. See the face of the coming Son of Man, Jesus Christ, who is coming to receive His bride, the church. The one who died for us. He's coming. And we can behold Him and we can see His face. He's telling us to look up, look at me, see me come. The one who died for us, the one who made us righteous and clean. The one who willingly went to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, paid the penalty of death due to us. And because of that, he is our redemption. He is our redemption. And that redemption is literally drawing near now. Physically drawing near. In the first advent, advent he came as a baby, born in the flesh to do what? to accomplish redemption, to accomplish redemption. But now he comes in power and glory to receive the reward of his work, to receive the reward of his work on the cross, which is our redemption. Yes, we are redeemed now, but in his coming will be our final redemption. When the old flesh with all its fragility of sickness and death and its stain of sin, will all be wiped away. And He will make us new. And He will make us new, as He will do with creation in the new heavens and new earth. If you are in Christ, then the Holy Spirit has brought about regeneration and continues to sanctify and mature us and grow us in grace and each of these things all right in our regeneration in our sanctification in our growing in grace these are all evidences small glimpses of what he will eventually complete in the final redemption are you frustrated with pain frustrated with suffering and trials and sin and temptations of the flesh, then, then straighten up. Look up. Look to the one who is your redemption and have assurance and confidence in his return. Because it won't be like that forever. Because all things will be made new. All things will be made new new now he does another thing here this is not only the, the confidence that we have because he's given us the signs and things that are going to happen but he gives us confidence in something amazing that we must not overlook and he does it in this little parable here the little parable of the of the fig tree 
So as the, the, the fig tree and all trees grow, out, grow, grow throughout the year, and Jesus says, you know, when summer is here and summers come upon you, or it's coming close, when the leaves begin to come out on the tree. And just as that is a sign to us that, that summer is coming, Jesus has given these, these signs to us that the kingdom of God is near. He says in verse 32, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. Now I wanted to stop here because this is one of those verses that are very confusing to people. Because they're like, well, this generation, that generation back, back then, what does he mean by this generation? I propose to you that what I think he's referring to here, and some people like, not like, and I think this is a valid translation as well, interpretation, is, is that they like to think that, that Jesus is actually talking about in that verse these things of the 70 AD of Jerusalem kind of stuff, right? These things, because these things is used earlier, it's used throughout the passage to describe all the particular events. This is the challenging of the passage, right? But I think what Jesus is saying here when he used this generation is I think Jesus is meaning a new generation of believers. And this new genera generation of believers is the church. Is the church, right? Those whose hope stretches from Christ's ascension to his return, right? Those who are living in the already but not yet. But regardless of what really what, this, what the interpretation is or what it, the correct interpretation is, is Jesus is still telling us to have confidence, to have confidence in, in his return and in those, in those particular signs that will come, that he will give us, that we will know for absolute certain that he is returning. But look at verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So where do we have confidence now? In the words of Jesus that will not pass away. Look what he says here. He says, everything around us is impermanent. The chairs that we are sitting on, the concrete that's below us, the dirt below us, and everything else, and the, the, the clay, and everything else that's, that's underneath, the trees, the sand, the sun, the moon, nothing will last, is what Jesus is saying. Nothing will last. But what will? His word. What's amazing about this claim that Jesus is saying here? is that it's right on par with Isaiah 40, verse 8. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So what is Jesus saying? When he says, my words won't pass away, what is he saying? That he has absolute confidence in the authority because he is the Son of God. And that his words will not pass away. And he tells us this so that we would have confidence and assurance that his words will last. That his words last longer than anything in this whole world. That we can bank our whole lives on his words. So when he says, I am your redemption and I am coming back and you don't have to worry if my words will fade or whether they will wither or whether they will grow old or die or be destroyed, they will not pass away, that we can trust them, that we can hold to them, we can 
hold the world and the things of this world loose because they're going to pass away. He is saying, I am more faithful. My words are more true than the sun coming up and the sun going down every day. As much as we expect that to happen every day, Jesus says, expect more. My words are true. Because one day, the sun won't rise. My words will never pass away. We have confidence and assurance that Jesus is coming back because his words are true. And it will never pass away. So church, let's listen up. Let's straighten up. Let's raise our heads this morning and that no matter what you are facing today or you might even face tomorrow, remember one day Jesus is coming back. And he is coming back with power and glory. And that is our true hope. So the question is in light of that, how does that then inform how we live? How now shall we live? And I'll give you two ways because that's what Jesus gives us. Jesus gives us two ways answering that question. How now shall we live? He says, first, to watch yourself. So in anticipation of the second advent, watch yourself. Watch yourselves. Verse 34, watch yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell upon the face of the earth. A couple things about this verse. Number one. Who's Jesus talking to? Is he talking to the Pharisees? Is he talking to unbelievers? Unfollowers? No, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his followers that, that they are to be watchful, that they are to be on guard and to keep their, their eyes open. Isn't it amazing here that Jesus just gave us those, those lists of signs but he doesn't say, be watchful for the moon to not come up tomorrow or the sun to blow up before you. What does he say, though? He says, be watchful for yourselves and your own hearts so that they're not weighed down. We are to be watching out not for the signs, not for the earthquakes and the hurricanes and tornadoes and fire and stars falling from the sky. That'll happen when it happens. But Jesus says, put the spotlight. Put the spotlight of the gospel on your hearts and watch yourselves. Don't study the last things too much because they will become a diversion of what's really happening in our hearts. And why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus tell us to watch our hearts more than anything else? Because in our hearts is the battleground, as Jesus says, of whether we will be prepared or not. That is the battleground by whether we will be prepared or not. Whether it will come like a trap, like a mouse hitting the trap. Boom! His followers are to be ready for his return. 
Not because we have been like everyone else, but because we have watched out for ourselves. And we understand that the real danger lies in our hearts and not from the world around us. I mean, last week we we talked about all the the dangers that Christians will face. The the, the persecution, the trials, the the suffering, how parents are going to turn in children and and brothers turning on brothers and sisters turning on sisters. And and there's going to be war and there's going to be chaos in the nations. But the greatest danger to us, as Jesus says, is not the growing threat of of our marginalization and anti-Christianity and persecution, but it's the daily, everyday temptations and distractions that can easily take root in our hearts. The complacency towards sin. Whenever we take our eyes off of Jesus and his return, That can happen at any moment. If we don't want to live today as if he is not coming back. We don't want to get too comfortable, too settling in this world as if this is our only hope or if this is really our home. This isn't our hope. This isn't our home. Remember, it's passing away. But be watchful of your hearts. Be watchful of your hearts that it doesn't get weighed down by what? He says dissipations and drunkenness. And I'm, I'm putting this together with sinful pleasures. He says not to be weighed down by dissipations and drunkenness. Literally, the, the Greek here says gives us the, someone, uh, gives us the picture of someone who comes home with a hangover. Having the headache of a, of, a, of a hangover who has been out living all the night before sinfully and frivolously. This is someone who embraces worldly pleasures, trying to find their, their meaning and their hope and their joy here and now. And what Jesus is saying is all it does is it subverts our hearts from finding what real joy and meaning is in him as well as keeps us from being prepared for his coming. But if you ever set your joy on the expectations of Jesus' return, then watch how much those sins that seem so besetting, as he says, weigh us down so much. Watch how they start to diminish when you set your focus and your hearts upon him and his return. Notice how it makes regrettable some of those things are and foolish those things seem and how much of a waste of time that they are on the last day when Jesus comes back. And he says, don't submit yourself to the sins of the world that will only weigh your heart down. But secondly, he says, be watchful that your heart does not get weighed down with the cares of this life. On the surface, the cares of this life are the everyday things that we do. That's what that means, the everyday things that we do, like like going to work, raising children, marriage, life, food preparation, cleaning up, laundry, all the things that we do, family and friend, relationships there, families and family and friends. And, And these things in of themselves are good, right? 
Family's good. Friends is good. Marriage is good. Raising children is good. Going to work is good. Doing life is, is good. But these cares of life can become, not become, they be, they are there as stresses and anxieties. Those things add up. They, they wear us down. They become heavy of day in, day out. And what Jesus is warning us here is that we need to be careful not to allow those things to occupy us in such a way that our hearts become so distracted and so weighed down by dirty diapers and lack of sleep and breaking down cars and, and bills and unruly classrooms. Because even though they are good, that they are good, these things that we are to do, and God wants us to remain faithful in them, He does not mean for those cares to become so big that we forget that reality, everything is away. And the maintaining of those things is a passing away. Like another thing breaks in the house, right? That just should be more of another sign that everything is passing away and that nothing really lasts. But it's a reminder that one day he is returning and that the thorns and the thistles of this garden will pass away and will be made new. You know, signs of our hearts being weighed down with the cares of this life, I think it's easy to find out, easy to pick. Fear, stress, anxiety, anger, impatience, retreat, self-loathing, blame-shifting, Put everything in context of our life. Put everything in context to the second advent. And be watchful. And be faithful. Be faithful in these things. But put them in context that Jesus is coming back. And he closes with this in verse 36. I love this. It's just so simple. In such a complex text, he goes so simple here but stay awake at all times, praying that you have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Right? Isn't that our hope? The, the hope is that we would stand before the Son of Man. That's our long this picture of being face to face with Jesus. The stand before Him. How now shall we live? Be watchful, stay awake, and pray. Like, like the virgins who were waiting for the bridegroom to come, right? And there were those who trimmed their wicks, and they went and bought the extra oil, and then there were some who didn't. And Jesus is telling us here to be prepared. To be prepared. I don't, I don't like to be unprepared. I don't like being caught unprepared. So I, I like to keep um, jumper cables in the truck and tools. I even carry an e-tool. need to dig a hole if anyone knows what an e-tool is. You know what an e-tool is? Do you know what an e-tool is? Any, you could use it for anything you want. <laughs> Bingo. Anything that you needed to use. I carry all these things because I want to be prepared if something ever was to happen and I need to change a tire Dig a hole, and as Kelly would interpret, whack someone, jump car off, whatever it may be. Oh, I have an air pump also in the car, so I can pump up tires. I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. And so when I read words like this, 
I see Jesus kind of shepherding me here. He's shepherding us. All right, Ben, you want to be prepared for something that really matters? Right? Cares of life, flat tires. Got it. But be really prepared here. Stay awake. Don't let yourself become comatose and lethargic by sin and cares of this life. And pray. Because when you pray, you're saying, I depend upon you, God, for everything. When I don't pray, I'm saying, I got it. In the second coming, I don't know. I don't have it. But Jesus does. And what does he tell? The Son of Man, the Son of God, is imploring his people to pray. To speak to God, to tell him directly your fears, your temptations, your weakness. Tell God your cares of life, that you would trust in him, and that his Holy Spirit would encourage you and exhort you and give you the strength to make it. And that the word of God would speak to you and encourage you and correct you in the areas that you need to be corrected. This is ordinary things here. Isn't it amazing? Jesus is not telling us to develop some kind of Christian uh, superpower, super pact to to withstand the world when things go bad. No. Stay awake and pray. Ordinary things. Ordinary things. That we would be people of great prayer. Or maybe just ordinary prayer. Ordinary prayer. And yet the one thing I think the church can be so comatose to and lethargic in is prayer. We must realize, as we talked about last week, that living in the already but not yet, we get it, it's not going to be easy. But we are to have a wartime living mindset as ones who are praying and depending upon our captain, that he would see us through and that we would stay awake. And that we pray for one another, that that you too would stay awake and that you too would be watchful of your own hearts and be careful of sin. That it's so easy in alluring us from not delighting in the deep thing that Jesus is telling us to delight in. Let's pray for one another. We all have needs and we all have family needs and health needs, but let's pray for our spiritual needs of one another and our spiritual growth of one another the needs of grace and mercy, the need for endurance, the needs of wisdom and discernment. Pray for one another. Pray for yourself. Pray for the church. I know it's November, and I know Christmas is coming. But I think we should be more encouraged and exhorted and warned in the second advent than in the first. Christmas has come. Jesus has come in the flesh. But he is coming back. 
for our redemption is drawing near. Straighten up. Raise your heads when he comes, but until then, be prepared. Be watchful. Be watchful over your own heart and the sins and the fears and the cares that seem to weigh us so easily down. Pray that those things would be diminished and Christ would be exalted in our hearts. And let all of that be in the light of the promise of Jesus' return. Anticipate that day. Look forward to that day when you and me, when we see the Son of Man. And oh, what a day it would be, a day of rejoicing it would be when we see Him face to face. And then everything we have seen and everything that we have faced here on this earth would seem so small and seem almost as nothing as the Apostle Paul tells us, it will be incomparable to the glory that is set before us. Set your hope in that, brothers and sisters. And as the Bible ends with Jesus saying, surely I am coming soon, and all God's people say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Lord, come. Come, that's our... That's our hearts to cry this morning is come. Come, Lord Jesus. We know you are coming back. We know your promises have been fulfilled and they will be fulfilled. And we look forward to that day. But until then, Lord, will you find us faithful? Give us the power and the strength through the Holy Spirit to remain faithful, to endure. Lord, that you would find us faithful. That you would find us watchful over our hearts. That you would find us praying. Help us, O oh God, in these things. Help us as a church, as a body to be in these things. Teach us what it means to be completely dependent on you. And so, Lord, we, we are thankful for these promises, for these hopes that you have set before us and the glory that awaits us. And as anticipation builds for Christmas in our hearts and our minds and things around us, oh, Lord, even more, we anticipate your coming. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.